in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Lady Rebels have won back-to-back Mountain West regular season titles. They beat San Jose State last night, 77 260. They have won 16 in a row. They are 25 and 2. They are 15 and 0 in the Mountain West. Uh, their final three games, they host Utah State, they host San Diego State, and they go to Nevada. Those are the three games that are separating them from, from perfection in the league. Perfect Mountain West season. Um, I've said at, you know, when they were 8 0, 9 0, that uh, it's probably unlikely that they would actually get to 18 and 0 it's just a very hard thing to do but at this point with three left it's becoming more and more likely that they do it um san diego state is currently the second place team in the mountain west they are 11 and 4 in conference play what a terrific year for lindy larock's team my goodness phenomenal they've been better than last year last year's team was excellent last year's team was really really good and they've been better than that which is uh, a very impressive thing to do when you better one of them. I mean, last year was their best season in what, like 20 years or 30 years, whatever it was. And they've been even better than that. And as we've talked about, they're putting themselves in a position to where even if they don't win the Mountain West tournament, they've got a really, really good shot at getting in a large spot and into the NCAA tournament, which is very impressive given the status of Mountain West women's basketball and how it doesn't get multiple. Doesn't get multiple bids. Last 10 years, it has had none. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so that bit, the big game, the big test for them is San Diego State. That's the other good team left on their schedule. And they host them. Uh, Yes, they host them. I guess going to Nevada will probably be pretty difficult. It's a road game to end the year, and it's a rivalry game. So maybe that last game of the year could be uh, difficult. However, that would be, that's probably pretty fun. You clinch a perfect Mountain West season on your biggest rival's Rival's court. court, Yeah, it's pretty fun. I don't know the answer to this. I'd have to look it up or hopefully have somebody else look it up and tell me. Has there been an 18-0 Mountain West women's basketball team before? No clue. I don't know. Uh, I'd have to look that up and see if they are going to be I mean, the first to do so. Like I said, they haven't ended that large in 10 years, so if there is an 18-0 team, it won the conference tournament. Presumably. Yeah. yeah. Would be the, the guess there. Danny, don't look it up. You got too many buttons to press. Too many fires to put out, Danny. Uh, uh, we'll see. Giannis left last night's game early. The Bucks still beat the Bulls. Brooke Lopez had a monster game, by the way. Uh, but Giannis had a hand injury. He jammed it on the stanchion. Did you see the play? Like, it no. seems pretty innocent. He's uh, going up near the basket and kind of comes down, and him and one of the Chicago Bulls players are, you know, kind of falling out of bounds. And he just sort of cut, kind of catches Put his hand himself up. on the stanchion and jammed it or jammed his finger or something like that. And he left the game early, did not return. That's the last game before the All-Star break. He's an All-Star captain. The sanctity of the All-Star game must be upheld. He's got to play through it. He won't. Yeah, I wouldn't either. He won't either. (laughs) No, I wouldn't either. If there's any question or it's sore at all, I wouldn't go near that court. Uh, So you might not have Giannis actually playing. He can still draft his team. Well, yeah, he's supposed to be. Like, he's a captain, so he's supposed to be on the court drafting his team against LeBron. He can do that. I assume he'll still do that. Uh, I guess if it was a serious injury, he probably wouldn't even do that. But I assume he can be there and not play, but right. draft his team and say, hey, 
whoever he drafts is going to start in his place or something like that. Did you see, by the way, um, Ernie Johnson said this on TNT last night. The way they're going to draft players is Giannis and LeBron are going to draft the reserves first and then draft the starters. Their starters? As a way to uh, not have somebody drafted last. Oh, no. We talked about that. Remember? Yeah. We talked about that. Well, like, who would be drafted last and how would he feel? Yeah. And we're still going to know who the last reserve drafted was. Yeah. You're just going to, oh, and now here are the starters. Now here are the starters, yeah. Like, just somebody has to be last. Like, why are we in a, in the sports world where the entire, the entire point of sports is to have a winner and a loser? Why are we worried about some all-star yeah. having his feelings hurt because he gets picked last? guy's still an all-star like what's he is that really gonna be ah i got picked last in the all-star game the now egos I, on those I, guys you never know get over yourself uh just a little update oh, on no. the uh women's college basketball history it? i found it the 2016 colorado state women's basketball team went 18-0 in conference 28-1 overall all right that's a pretty good record <laughs> Kalong told me a couple days ago, I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> the A's have a third location in Las Vegas. According to the Review Journal, the A's are now seriously considering the land where the Rio sits on Flamingo Road, just west of the Strip and Interstate 15. A person with knowledge of the dealings told the Las Vegas Review Journal, that brings three sites in play with the Tropicana on the South Strip and the Las Vegas Festival Grounds on the North Strip, also still under consideration. I guess we talked about this the other day, these tax districts. I guess you could do that one around there, but it's. I'm trying to think where. I'm trying to think of the Rio site, like how you could develop one around there. And it depends on, I guess, if you got all of the land the Rio is on. Maybe uh, you could? yeah, you could build the the ballpark, and then there's probably room for other. Whether you do housing or retail, whatever right. you want to do there, there's probably room there. Um, you'd probably do mixed, probably a hotel, an apartment complex, and restaurants and retail. Um, so that is uh, an option uh, there. I couldn't find anything when I tried to look this up. Haven't there been talks about? the Rio being like torn down and built into a baseball stadium before hasn't that been a conversation before I think that that rumor was floating around during COVID like 2020 okay. 2021 time frame I, I don't know I don't remember where it came from but I and I couldn't find for it. a major league team yeah, yeah but I just I vaguely remember oh yeah they're gonna tear down the Rio and build a baseball park and was like okay I and then it comes up again all oh, the A's are looking at it and I was like did Part of me was like, didn't the A's already look at this? Right. And, uh, maybe not. But uh, they're now adding sites back to what was their final two, which is like a high school recruit having a final two and then saying, hold on, this other school is offering me more money. So uh, Fisher and Cobble are going to have two hats yes. on a table. One's going to say the Rio, one's going to say Festival Grounds, and they're going to like mess with us and say, okay, which one we're putting on? And then they're going to swipe them off the table and grab an unidentified one up <laughs> that you've never heard of before. Henderson. And put it yeah, on. Well, they'll build it. <laughs> and Deborah March, the mayor, will come out and be like, I'll shake your hand. We're giving they'll you a billion it. dollars. We don't even have a billion dollars, but we're giving it to you. I also saw on Twitter yesterday, and forgive, I am ter doing a terrible job today, For cannot remember who tweeted this. Dave Cobble is a registered lobbyist in the Nevada 
government or whatever the the phrasing is. He's a registered, up at the legislature. Yeah, for so the he's legislature. He's up there, uh, registered lobbyist. So he will be. He's up there talking to the legislature. He huh? will be taking our state legislatures out to dinners and shows wow. and all of that, being all like, right. "Hey, give me some money." Let's go eat dinner and go to a Golden Knights game or whatever Dave Cobble does. But yes, Dave Cobble, the president of the A's, is a registered lobbyist in the state of Nevada. And I did find a couple of tweets no, from a, you... a popular Twitter here in Vegas talking about rumors of the Rio sell to make a baseball stadium back in October of 2018. All right. That is a long time ago. Okay. was That That wasn't even the A's, was it? That was just, uh, yeah, it was, was just, just a rumor a of a stadium. Ballpark. All yeah. right. I don't care about your next question. The Clippers might sign Russell Westbrook and start him. <laughs> the Clippers, <laughs> I thought they made enough moves to where, and especially the way Kawhi's playing now and healthy. I don't know why you want to bring him on. The So the Athletic reported this. Uh, the Clippers have permission to talk to Westbrook. He's technically a Utah Jazz, but has not played for them. Probably never will uh, if they buy him out. Um, but the Shamsharnia wrote the Clippers would see Westbrook as a potential starter with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, and Ivica Zubach. Zubach. Is this, in all just, seriousness, is this Paul George telling the front office what to do? I mean, it could be. That's a great point. I didn't think of that. I mean, it could be that he wants him so badly that he said, let's go and get him. But because. Zach Lowe, Zach Lowe, who covers the NBA for ESPN, said yesterday that he doesn't believe the Clippers front office wants to sign Russell Westbrook. That this but Paul is a, George and him are friends. This is a Paul George, Kawhi Leonard-led charge to get Westbrook. No, oh, those guys have some juice. And I, like they, again, the West is wide open. Are the Clippers the favorite? No, but the Clippers could win the NBA title this right. year. It is possible the Clippers win the title this year. And you're going to sign Russell Westbrook <sighs> just because Paul George wants his friend back. Like Paul George played with Westbrook for two years in um, Oklahoma City. Right. I don't think they even won a playoff series. They were not. They were fine, but they weren't anything special. That is if I if I'm a front office, <sighs> that is giving the player too much power. Like player empowerment in the NBA is higher than any other sport. Any that other we sport, see. without question. And a lot of it has to do with what you know the contracts the player signs and player movement because guys can demand trades and actually get them in the NBA. Unlike a lot of other sports, we see it with Lamar Jackson right now. Just wants a damn contract and can't get it. This to me, if I was a front office, I'd be with contracts and everything for players. Will do it. This, I think, would be catering one step too far. Because with, the, with the players. With with players coming and asking for Russell Westbrook. I would basically be like, yeah, LeBron just did this, guys. LeBron just made the Lakers sign this guy. And look how that went. Did not work out very well. So we are not making the same mistake that the Lakers just did. But it appears as though they actually might do it, which will uh, probably not be a good thing for the Lakers, or for the Clippers, especially making him a starter as well. Wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the NFL may outlaw the tush push. Uh, Dean Blandino. Overthinking the room. <laughs> Dean Blandino says the NFL competition committee might look to eliminate the tush push play on QB sneaks that was so effective for Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles this season. Why? Why are they doing this? Um, we uh, we talked about it yesterday. You can't you can't make a 
argument that it's because guys are getting injured. I mean, if you said it was a safety thing, maybe you could look at it, but that doesn't happen. Wasn't that already a rule and then they took away the rule like a couple years ago? I thought there yes. was a rule that you couldn't yes, push the there ball used carrier. To be. Yeah. Prior to college football, but prior to USC when Reggie Bush pushed Matt Leinard into the end zone, uh, it was it was outlawed in the NFL. And then they came in and said, oh, no, you can push. You just can't pull. You yeah. can't, like, get in front of the quarterback and, and pull, pull him forward. But you can so, push. So 20 years later, they're regretting the decision? I don't – the thing that I don't get is – so, so this was the quote, another quote from Dean Blandino. It amounts to a rugby scrum. The NFL wants to showcase the athleticism and skill of our athletes. This is just not a skillful play. This is just a tactic that is not aesthetically pleasing. It, the Eagles run the tush push on third and one, second and goal from the one. They run it to get one yard. If you take away the tush push, they're going to turn and hand it off to a running back who just runs into a pile of bodies. Right. You are not going to... You're, the idea that we need an aesthetically pleasing game, teams are not suddenly going to say, oh, it's second and one from the 50? Hail Mary time, let's throw it right. down the field. Exactly. They're still going to run short yardage plays, which are just as boring as a quarterback sneak. I'd argue this is more entertaining than a running back running it up the oh, middle for two with guys yards. pushing him from behind? Right. Absolutely. It's more fun because it's like, hey, here it comes again. You can't stop right. it. And by the way, go back to the Chargers and uh, Jags playoff game. Doug Peterson had his team line up like they were going to run the tush push on that fourth and one. They were going to push Trevor Lawrence from behind. What did the Jags do? They ran an end around and picked up like 30 yards to seal that game. Well, they had to kick field goal, but to seal that game up. That only happened because teams were like, oh, bleep. Here comes the Here's the push. quarterback sneak. Yes. And guess what? One of the uh, up backs are going to push him. One of the best, honestly, one of the best play calls of the entire postseason was because teams were overprepared for the tush push. That was a skillful, aesthetically pleasing play that now won't matter if you say, ah, you can't push the quarterback from behind. It's stupid. And just let them. It's football. It, the whole point is to hit each other and push each other. And now you're going to say, well, ah, and like, have you heard of one it. injury that happened from this? No, I, I can't think of anything. I can't think of one injury it's that happened. happened I don't think it's real. It's just, hey, we're pushing into each other. And it is talented. Jalen Hurts can squat 600 pounds or something ridiculous yes. like that. They're strong. Part of the game is to be strong. All right. Coming up next, you're on ESPN Las Vegas. We get into some UNLV basketball. 10-20 to go. Rebels down 57-48 as Noel shoots a three from the left side and hits it. And the Rebels back within six. Tolbert spins, almost has it knocked away, does have it knocked away. Noel knocks it away. Iwako dives for it, and the Rebels get the ball back. Text Granny and Bischoff at 69187 with the word ESPN. Jared is aimlessly walking the halls at this point. <laughs> Open the door, looked and in just here looked for in two seconds. And like had a look in his face like every other station in this place is going down and he doesn't know how to fix it because there's fires everywhere. And then he just walked out. I, Did, I know what that look was for. It was great. Danny, are we on the air? Uh, yeah. Everything you and Jared are doing implies that this building, none, nothing in this building works today. No, we're good. All we're right. good. If I go to the bathroom after this segment, will I be able to flush the toilet? That I don't know. That I don't know. But I did <laughs> well, fix my toilet worked. at home, so I know that one works. Oh, you had to fix it. Yeah. What I, was wrong with it? I got a text yesterday from my girlfriend saying, hey, the water won't stop running in the toilet. Oh. oh. I was like, come on. You I have still to get got home, I still got home got, fast? I couldn't. 
I was so busy with work because with, it- with the paper job, I had to take over managing duties this week. So right. I was like, I'm I'm on deadline. Sorry. Was the, was the toilet like it wasn't overflowing? No, it was no, just no. the water running. was running. yeah, the water was oh. just running. Oh. So I had to go home. Yeah, we had to end up fixing the water pump. We had to fix the line. We had to fix quite a bit. Yeah, you had me a water pump. I have no chance at that. Bonnie's doing that. I'm making. I'm 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 pouring the wine. It's it's no really chance. only like a no chance. Once we got the parts and everything, it was like a quick. You had to get fi- parts. Yeah. Oh, it they, was like a fifteen minute fix. You, no, the pump you put in the back no. of the tank or whatever they sell yeah. it at like Lowe's or Home Depot. Forget about it. Yeah. yeah, we had to buy the whole inside, the line to the wall, the attachment on the wall. There's do you lot. do that? I have done it. Could you once do it before? Could I, like, life or death? Yes. You could figure it out. Would I pay our little uh, home, it's not home insurance, I can't remember, home warranty thing where right. we pay 50 bucks and they come out and you pay for parts and the right. guy fixes it? Yes, I would do that yes. instead. So I, next time you have a broken toilet, call me because I'll take the I'll take 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> just, okay. get, just buy me lunch and a six-pack of beer. All right, Will Carrier. You're, you're, I was going to say, I need a Will Carrier, someone who... We've had those guys in the past where they can do anything, and if you find a good one like that, never let them go. Yeah. Like, if you just find a handyman who can fix anything or do anything. Uh, uh, they're important. Yeah. Can't tell you how much one I'll in fix. our house. 1A is Bonnie, and then, again, I'm not even in the room. Okay, hold on. I got a question, Fred. If your toilet is actually overflowing, yes. do you know how to turn the water off to just the toilet? There's a knob on the wall. Yes, all right. That I believe is that. Yes. Do you know it's how to, down below? You do you turn know it how to turn the, water, the off. water off to your house? Do I have to what? Do you know how to turn the water off to your house? Oh, no chance. No chance. All right. Well, for future <laughs> reference, in case you ever need to, there's a little, a little cement block about this big, usually by on the sidewalk right in front of your house. You just got to lift that off. I usually use a screwdriver. I think or something, I know where that is. You turn it. I think I know where that is. Yeah. The the most mechanical I've been is this week we sprayed for scorpions. Nice. I haven't done that yet. I got to go buy spray. Yeah. Worried about the bulldog, though. Although they say it's safe for dogs, I'm not. Because uh, he follows us everywhere, and anything we do, he'll try to eat or sniff, and I'm worried about him. So we're trying to keep him inside and not let him know we're doing this. Hmm. Because I don't want him going near that. I it says a safer animals. I don't believe that for a second. No, I I usually <laughs> it's there to like kill scorpions. Yeah, I don't believe that exactly. <laughs> if I, I I'm ever know. spraying, I keep my dog locked in a room for an hour, just to let it dry and be good. Handyman Danny, could you have fixed my wall after my car ran through it? No, got a drywall experience. Probably not anymore. Okay. Anymore. Yeah, me and, when I was younger, I used to help my uncle do a lot of like construction stuff on the side. Like he would build um uh he did actually remodel his entire basement, but he would also build um like decks and patios and stuff like that, and I would help him out. Isn't Mike Gramala really good at this stuff? Yes. He builds furniture. I don't know if I don't know how I thought good he, he built is a deck. Yeah, yeah. Well, not a deck. He built a bunch of like outdoor furniture. I don't know how good he is at like fixing things that go wrong in the house. Like water breaks. Right. But he does buy wood and build furniture from, you know, scratch, basically. He's done that. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's very talented. He's got like four pieces of furniture in his house that are. That he actually he built? built. Yeah. He built. He's got like his whole outdoor furniture is like a bench 
And another thing his dog sits on and like a little outdoor table that he built all of it. I mean, if you walked in and saw it, would you think he bought, built it or would you say, oh, you went and bought this? I, you wouldn't think anything of it. Yeah. You'd just be like, oh, this is your out. You wouldn't think, oh, this is clearly hand or homemade. You wouldn't think that. Now, when he tells you, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But good for him. Think of it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Danny and I were discussing this during the break. I'm curious your thoughts. UNLV goes to the NIT. Are they hanging a banner in Thomas and Mac? Just goes to not doesn't win, just appearances. This year? This year, next year, yeah, whatever. Their their next their next postseason appearance and is an NIT. Well, for the NCAA spot. tournament, they would. No, yeah, but I'm saying they don't go their next postseason appearance is the NIT. And just to preface this, the reason why it came up is because I've noticed going on these trips with UNLV that some schools hang banners in their rafter just for appearances in the NIT, which I thought was kind of weird. Because I can definitely see hanging championships, but just appearances in the NIT, I thought it was a little weird. Put it up there next to the national championship one? They got a lot of them up there next to the national championship one. Yeah. They just retired Dick Calvert, a PA announcer, and put it up next to the national. Deservedly so. One. Um, I think they might. They, I think they 100% would. They haven't been to the postseason in a decade. They do not have an accomplishment in a decade. They've got no... The banner they've hung in the last decade is not about the basketball team. It's the PA announcer. The actual team hasn't accomplished anything. In a decade. They don't I think have they a, might. They don't have a Mountain West Tournament Championship. They don't have an NCAA appearance. They don't have anything. In 10 years, 100% they are. And they've never been either. They do not have an NIT appearance. So it's not like... Ever? Are you sure? Like 90% certain. The Wikipedia page doesn't say they have one, so... I thought one year they went to Kentucky. Yeah. I'll look it up in the break. Okay. But (laughs) I think they are hanging it because that's that would legitimately be the only accomplishment they will have had in a decade. And to be fair, it's pretty good. If UNLV is yes. good enough to go to the NIT, yeah, that's a pretty good season. Yeah, like for a team that's not really going to the NCAA tournament ever, you're one of the top. If you go to the NIT, you're roughly one of the top seventy teams in mm-hmm. college basketball. Usually, it's pretty good. So I, I a hundred percent think that they are hanging an NIT banner if they go to the NIT. Now, if they like next year they go to the NCAA tournament and go to the NCAA tournament like five straight times and then have a bad year and go to the NIT, they probably don't hang it in that scenario. But if next year they're in the NIT and it's their first postseason appearance in a decade, that NIT banner's going up. Absolutely going up the next year. You'd be okay with it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Hang whatever banners you want. Yeah. Con- whatever you want to, whatever, whatever you want people to come in, look up and say, oh, that was fun. Right. Hang a banner. So I'm on board with it. The weird one they have is uh, Jerry Tarkanian. And where they would normally put a player's number, they put his winning percentage. You've seen that, right? Yes. It's like point yes. eight five seven. Yeah. But it's very I, I don't know. I've never seen it that way, but it's very it's like Tarkanian point eight five seven or whatever his win percentage was. It's a weird thing, but that's how their t- Tarkanian banner is. Coming up next, Bruce Cassidy joins the show. Eric Carlson gains the line on the right, feeds the slot, broken up in the middle. Nifty play by White Cloud. Starts Connor out the right side, two on one. Connor shoots, he scores. Stevenson wins the draw. Petrangelo for Theodore. Shoots it wide. Rebound. Out in front. They score! William Carrier puts the Knights on top. 2-1 Vegas. 16 seconds to go. 
Rainey and Bischoff are back on the press box. Joining us now, the head coach of the Golden Knights, Bruce Cassidy. Good morning, Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Hi, fellas. How are you doing? Good. Good. All right. So can you help us out here? Do you have any idea on Will Carrier's game-winning goal? Did Shea Theodore, was he intentionally trying to miss the net by about 10 feet? I do not believe so, but it worked out well, didn't it? <laughs> it did work out very well for Shea Theodore and ultimately Will Carrier. Um, I know this is your first season coaching Will Carrier, so it's not necessarily you can tell us what's been different, but career high in goals, smashed what he did last year when he had nine. What's made him so good? What's made him you know, make that jump to become a goal scorer this season? Well, I think early on uh, he showed ability to separate. He had lots of breakaways, lots of one-on-one situations where he got inside and got good scoring chances. That's his game, right? He's not a kind of dipsy doodler, fancy guy. He's not a one-timer guy to get his chances. It's hard work and straight line kind of foot speed and puck possession. So I've always valued that. We've tried to build our fourth line with that mentality so it bleeds into the rest of the group and you mix in your skill and you have different ways to attack. So from day one, he's displayed that. So we've given him more responsibility uh, when guys got injured, move up in the lineup, maybe a few extra minutes here or there. Now he's net front of the power play because we know he's willing to stand there and, um, and help out and recover pucks. And so for me, it's just been a progression of that. I mean, that's something I value a lot. Um, he's brought it every night. He's, and, and, and staying healthy, right, for the most part. He's had a couple of bumps and bruises along the way. That always helps when you're – if you're going to have a career season, you usually got to be in the lineup most nights, and, and he's been able to do that. Uh, talk last night about Paul Carter's emotions. Can that be a blessing and a curse as a young guy who you know shows emotion, and, and do you like that uh, most of the time? I, I like it. I, as long as it doesn't interfere with you know his focus of getting ready for his next shift. Like in the moment, guys can be, you know, we need it. Uh, we've seen it out of Marsha, so he's, he plays some of his best hockey when you know, he's on, he, he butts up against the edge. I, I've seen Jack turn it up, Eichel, when, you know, when he, when he feels like he can give more. And I've seen it with Mark Stone, our captain. Um, so I, I feel that if it's in you and that's part of your makeup, yes. But don't let it get in the way of, of what you want to do the next time you go over the boards. Um, and that's where we, we, we try to get Paul in line and say, hey, you know what, good or bad, let's get on to the next shift where you feel the should have drew a call. That's where Paul gets upset a little bit, you know, and as a young guy, he's not going to get the other, the calls the other guys do. That's just the way the league is right or wrong. And, um, you know, you, you pay your dues in this league, you'll start getting more calls and, um, you know, you'll get rewarded. Bruce Cassidy with us, head coach of the golden Knights. So uh, because of injuries or poor play, you guys have had a lot of different uh, line combinations this year. And I'm, I'm just curious your overall thoughts on, like, what are you looking for when you're trying to decide whether you want to break a line up that's, uh, you know, maybe not playing as well as you thought versus letting them play a little bit longer together to see if they start playing better? Like, what are things you look for to decide when you need to break a line up versus let them play a little while longer? Well, some of it is out of your control with injuries, right? You sort of have to go, go with, uh, you know, different things. And this year we've had our share of that. Now I'd like to keep them as they are because – I've always felt that effective, you know, teams with with four balanced line and maybe your fourth line like ours is more of a tempo setter type of line, like play behind them, be physical, know the other team uh, needs to be on their heels. And we've had that from day one. So that's been good. We've built that with Nick Waugh predominantly. Colasar has been a big part of that. And we've used um, 
you know, Carrier at the start, now it's Howie. Um, so we've got that. So the other three lines, we've been looking at different who, who connects with who, um, and can we score in different ways, right? Like the rush game is always there in the NHL early on. Teams are, you know, taking a few more chances. But as it, you know, it gets down to the nitty-gritty, teams tighten up. So you need lines that can score um, with ozone play, second chances, getting inside, so to speak. So that's what I've looked for recently, adding guys in each line, and that's where Will Carrier's done a good job with Stevenson. Uh, Cotter's done a good job with, with Eichel and Marcia. So we're trying to get Amadio to compliment Carlson and Smith because those two guys are skill guys. They make plays. They read off each other well. But, you know, to, to, to beat good goalies in this league, it, you need a net presence a, a lot of times. So that's what we're looking for now. And, uh, you know, we're getting more of it. So we'll keep working on that. What do you miss, in, uh, whether it's the power play or other things, what do you miss most about Mark Stone when he's out? Well, his ability to make, make plays – uh, in traffic is the biggest thing. He does it on the uh, goal line on the power play. He does on um, breakouts where he's really good at getting the puck off the boards into the middle of the ice uh, to speed, whether it was Stevie or Jack, whoever he's playing with. And um, he just has that extra sense in, uh, of timing. With, with people around him, he makes plays where other guys might force it or panic or, or just not be able to execute for whatever reason. And he's really, really good at that. Um, he's done it well his whole life. And... Uh, that's the part we miss, those little small area plays that lead to good scoring chances. He's also got a great stick in the neutral zone and forechecking, all those things. Um, and you can sort of make up for some of that with other guys by, by, by doing, you know, coaching them up and uh, getting them to, to, to reload. And our, our team has done a great job of that as a whole, but you just miss his, his ability to make that extra pass that's going to result in a really good chance. And it's really shown up in our power play. Bruce Cassidy with us, head coach of the Golden Knights. I know uh, last night after the game, you talked about the power play that went 0 for 7, and you brought up like individual stubbornness and talking about, you know, making specific theme passes. And I'm curious from a coaching standpoint in the NHL, when it's professional players, how much of that is it just you show them, hey, this is what you're trying to do and it's not working, and actually forcing them or however you can force them to stop doing something that you know is not going to work? Well, that, that is a tough one. You can uh, take away some of their minutes, uh, start the second unit, so to speak. Um, you know, m- maybe you flip someone in in a certain game to send a message. But at the end of the day, these are your guys. These are, they're paid to to perform on the power play and, and make those plays. So you you got to go back to them. I don't think you can take it all away from them because, you know, there'll be resentment in that, in that car. you got to let them work through it. So we're going to do that, but... I don't think it can be just a continuous, just roll them over and roll them over, roll them over. I've never believed in that. You do have to get their attention. We've tried to put more emphasis in practice. They have to value that. There comes a time where the players say, hey, you know what? We have to own this. We need to own it, and we need to work on it. We need to get better, and we'll do it you know, uh, on our own, extra after practice, before practice. And To me, that's what all the good power plays will do. They'll eventually say, okay, let's get out there and, and sort through it on our own, and uh, run the plays that we need to so we can execute better and become second nature. And, you know, that, that's the messaging now. I mean, listen, this is my first year here, so we're getting a feel for, for you know, who, who values that part of it, who wants to take control of it, who w- does want to be uh, the ownership guy in the group. And we're building that in, and it takes time. But right now it, uh, it, it, it hasn't hurt us in terms of us winning games in the last little bit, but it did hurt us before before the break when we weren't winning. There were some games there that we let points slip away. So that's how I'm trying to hammer it home. That in, in the in the long run, we're going to need it. So we need to be 
as efficient as possible and put the work in with it, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, Braden McNabb said the other day the uh, system now is second nature, as it should be at this point of the season. How well uh, is your defense playing in front of who is now Aiden Hill for your number one goalie? Well, I think that, that that's good to hear because I think that's a credit to the entire staff, to, you know, especially the assistant coaches that work every day to drill down in the video on little things, details, stick details, position details for, for your structure. And, I, and that's what you want as a coach. You want to be going into this part of the year. It's kind of the home stretch here. It's time to play winning hockey every night. Um, and, if, and if the system is second nature, that means they can just react and play. Um, and that's what I'm seeing in front of our goaltender. He, you know, of course, he's going to have to make the occasional stop. Nobody's perfect. We're going to make mistakes. The other team has good players. They're going to make plays. But you're seeing a lot more of that. And uh, some of that is just the health of the six guys that you know, we started the year with and uh, them, them knowing each other and having good chemistry. And, and then the lines understanding that as, as forward group how we're going to play through the neutral zone and we're going to really limit chances there because that's where you know, a lot of offense starts. Um, and we've done a good job with that. And... Um, it's a big part of what our identity needs to be. If you want to be a team that wins at this time of the year, you have to keep the puck out of your net because teams tighten up, and um, we've done a good job of that, like I said. So now it's time to build on some of the things that haven't gone as well, uh, net presence in, in the offensive zone and in our power play. There was a story in the Review Journal last month about Will Carrier being the like team handyman. I believe he fixed Nick Hague's dishwasher and laid tile for Jonathan Marsh or so. Has he fixed yep. anything at your house? Uh, no, he hasn't yet. Our house is relatively new, but he's on call. He's on speed dial. Um, he's helped our video coach with his dryer. Uh, got that squared away. He's a coffee maker in the coach's office. That doesn't sound like much, but you know when all the lights are blinking, you can't figure it out. Uh, you know, you just unplugging it, plugging back in works sometimes, but this time it didn't. So we had to call Will in. <laughs> Give him a lifetime contract. He is Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Golden Knights. Bruce, we appreciate your time this Thanks, morning. Thanks, Bruce. Take care of yourself. All right, thanks for having me. Oh, so not only is he making house calls, he's fixing, fixing in-office coffee, coffee makers. Oh. Do we need to have Will Carrier come to the studio today because other studios are not working here? No, because he'd never make the practice. <laughs> they practiced this morning at 1130. I don't think he'd ever make it. With oh, the way boy. Danny and Jared was running, or running around here. But he's right down the road, so he can stop by afterwards. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's, true. it's close. That's true. It is close. City close. Nashville's close. Yeah, so it'll be fine. Just, yeah, call Will Carrier and have him come fix whatever problem it is. I'll just shoot him a text real quick. Yeah, we uh, the doorstop on our door is gone. It's missing. From I actually I... could fix that if I had a doorstop. It's just a <laughs> screws and a... Yeah, from what I heard, they were, they were mad that it kept falling. So they're, instead of fixing, it was... They just took the doorstop. Keep okay. the door closed. <laughs> you could fix it. You just need a, a drill and screws and really, hold it up there. You might have even just needed to tighten up the actual stopper. <sighs> yeah, tough. probably. You are right. It probably just needed to be tightened. It'd be tough. You you could do that. It's ju- it's just a drill. At all, it not is even is a drill. it's a screwdriver. Uh, no, I the do door's that. kind of thick. That. That'd be hard. That. Well, I meant if it was oh, just, just tightening it. Okay, yeah, yeah. If you had to actually install it. it, yes. But if you had to install it with a drill, you could do that. Yeah, you, you just, just need to like a screw, and... maybe two screws. Come we on. We have faith in you, Ed. I, it's not that hard. I'm not a handyman. I hate fixing things, but I could do that. All right. If you, if you believe in me. <laughs> we believe in you. <laughs> All right. Coming up next on ESPN Las Vegas, UNLV or Boise State got a better shot at getting into the Pac-12. 
Back to the Finley Toyota Studios for Granny and Bischoff on the Press Box. All right, we're going to try to decipher some uh, words here and figure out what it means. So John Canzano, uh, who is in Oregon, he tweeted out, I am told that the Pac-12 has kept Boise State at arm's length in recent months per a source. Pac-12 has had very limited contact with the school. Conference appears far more interested in SMU, San Diego State, and some others. So we know from reporting that George Kliakov, the um, uh, the commissioner of the Pac-12, has visited San Diego State. He visited SMU, uh, what's that, a week ago at this point. Is UNLV, do we think UNLV is in the category of some others that are ahead of Boise State? I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I actually think I was writing something for the weekend on this because uh, the Big 12 commissioner told the Athletic during the college football season that he wanted to go west. He wanted to go you know, out west and, and take care of all four time zones. Um, I'll throw it back to you. Are they better fit? Is UNLV better fit for the Big 12? Um, than the Pac-12. Eric Harper has huge, huge connections in the Big 12. Played in the Big 8 when they were in the Big 8. Was at the at Kansas State when they went to the Big 12. Was in the Pac-12 when they went to the Pac-12. They were Pac-10 and went to the Pac-12, but knows a ton of people in the Big 12. I mean, they, they're going to take either invitation, obviously. Oh, they're yes. going to take either invitation. But it's interesting, giving some of the things you keep hearing about UNLV, the town, um, Allegiant, uh, I wonder how much they're not helped, but hurt by the 40th market. I'm not sure. I've never really figured that out because a lot of the top markets are already taken up by these conferences. So is the 40th that bad? So I've never really figured that out. It's in, it's in a weird spot where it's not clearly um, a must have market. No, no conference. Nobody's like, Oh, we have to be in the Las Vegas market because it's not a massive market. But it's not a bad size market either. And if the comparison in this case is Boise, Idaho, it's you're significantly better. better. Yeah. So it it all comes down to who are you being compared to? And like, for example, if the Pac-12 or the Big 12 was expanding and they were like, it's all about market size and it's between SMU, San Diego State and, and UNLV, you lose, right? You, you yeah. lose because it's Southern California versus Dallas versus Las Vegas. But if it was like, hey, it's... um. Market size is important, and it's you and, and Boise State. You win. So it it all depends on who you're being compared to. And the Pac-12 conversation is if they add two, UNLV loses, right? It's going to be San Diego State and SMU most likely, and, and you lose. Your market is not big enough. But if they add more than two, or like you're saying, if the Pac-12 adds and the Big 12 adds, UNLV probably wins? I think they do. Probably. Um, because... <laughs> the the options are slim for the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Like in terms of who, if you're going to expand, it's not really a bunch of great choices. San Diego State's probably the best one that's out there. SMU, um, a lot of people mentioned Tulane in the New Orleans market. It's not a bad option compared to what else you have. And it's UNLV, it's Colorado State, it's Boise State, right? Like, those are the legitimate, uh, Fresno State's always mentioned, but whatever. 
that's not really a great choice. And it's why I think, I think part of that reasoning is why the big 12 is interested in Gonzaga. Because even though they don't play football, what, what would be better for the big 12 to add UNLV just because they have a football program or to add Gonzaga? It's a great question. Market size. Um, they do play football. That's a great question. I also think the Big Twelve could and might be eyeing for for Pac twelve schools. And that and that's the like Arizona t- schools, yeah. Washington, Oregon. So if you're the Big Twelve and you look out there and say, Okay, we're gonna expand, <laughs> what do we expand to? And your options are San Diego State, UNLV, Boise, Boise State. State. SMU's not really doesn't do anything for the Big Twelve because they already dominate. Yeah, Texas. They dominate so Texas. SMU's irrelevant to the Big Twelve. And then maybe we throw Tulane in there. So you're like, okay, well, we could get into California with San Diego State, and then we could take UNLV in Las Vegas. Like, that's not bad. But then it's like, well, what could we do that's better? Adding Gonzaga might be better, even though they don't play football. That might be better because basketball-wise, you are the power if you add Gonzaga. And then after that, or maybe before Gonzaga, the better option is to take Pac-12 schools. The better option is to go pillage from the Pac-12 because you'd much rather have four teams in the current Pac-12 than San Diego State, UNLV, Tulane, Boise Boise. State, something like that. So that, I think, is the interesting part on what the Big 12 does. Then I think UNLV would have a great chance at the (laughs) Pac-12. Well, I mean, if you take four teams... Wouldn't exist anymore. (laughs) They're going to need inventory also, the Pac-12. I was talking to someone about this the other day. Yeah. No matter where they go, media rights deals, there's going to have to be enough teams for games. They need games. They They absolutely need games games to get a better television or streaming deal.